0: the dog and
1: bone welcome to the dog and bone a series of podcasts brought to you by propeller group i'm martin lote curator of the dog and bone in each episode you're listening to a conversation between two senior people at the sharp end of business change and transformation with their permission of course our two guests will chat and question each other as equals exploring industry topics and stories from their careers hopefully they'll dig up some tasty morsels for us to chew on In this episode, Nishma Robb, Google UK's Ad Business Marketing Director, had a lean-in talk with Gemma Greaves, boss of the Marketing Society. Nish is a powerful advocate for diversity in the workplace and for inspiring girls and young women to work in tech. She's a former chair of Women at Google and has also been one of the Business Women of the Year in the Asian Women of Achievement Awards. Gemma became the first female chief executive of the Marketing Society in 2017, stepping up from global managing director. She was also the first female president of industry dining group The Solus Club. Gemma believes in being brave in business. For example, she tweeted that entries this year for the Young Marketing Leader Award fell short of expectations, so she encouraged marketers to put more effort in and have another go a brave move which led to a much better response. As you'll hear, the two are friends and this makes for an especially interesting half hour as they discuss how inspiring leaders need to be brave, to listen, to accept vulnerability and celebrate diversity. And what it's like to be offered a top job while on maternity leave with milk in your hair. Gemma started things off. Well, this
2: is very exciting niche. My first question that I'm really keen on on asking you is something that we're really passionate about both of us is um, diversity, diversity in business, diversity for us as as role models. You were chair of women at Google. What are you up to now?
0: Yeah, we are both and we can talk endlessly about this. But just very quickly, I was chair of uh, women at Google for a couple of years, which was our internal women's group originally set up by... Cheryl Sandberg, when she was at, at Google um, in California, and um, in the time that I was doing that, we're very focused on the initiatives that we had about developing our women internally, both from kind of thinking about retention, development, and attracting more female talent, and um, as well as the work that we did internally. We did I did quite a lot of work externally as well. So whether it was around inspiring girls to get into technology and thinking about coding, you know, right from the point of schools all the way through to kind of college and development of careers. Um, but the thing that I, towards the latter of, of my time as chair, but the really I suppose the area that I'm now focusing the most on, that I was inspired by at the time, was the power of film and advertising and communication in terms of really shifting the um, needle in terms of diversity. So in the time uh, when I was chair, I worked very closely with the Gina Davis Institute, and part of the Gina Davis Institute was about addressing the representation of women in uh, film and media and TV. And Google and YouTube work very closely with her initiative. Um, we consult on programmes around, for example, the Silicon Valley show, which had four male engineers, was around, actually, that's not very representative, why don't we think about adding a female engineer? And we we coached them, we worked with the writers and did that. And through that time and the data and the research they showed, it was seeing the power, well, A, the lack of representation, but the power that media has in terms of shaping attitudes, and behaviour in children, but all the way through. And as a mum, just like you, as a mum to, to my kids, I could see the impact that media was having in shaping their opinions. So a lot of my work most recently is really around focusing on getting diverse talent into creative industries. The more diverse talent we can have in marketing roles, in creative agencies, in the hands of filmmakers, TV producers, writers, etc., the better chance we have of creating the stories and images and pictures and films that will change the way we think about the world. Nice, very inspiring.
2: That's just made me think about um one of the things that I've um been exploring a lot recently is us as as female role models and the opportunity that we have, not just the opportunity but the responsibility we have to inspire
0: the next generation coming through. You know, it's not just a an extra to do you know, on on the list. This is actually, I see it as a core part of my role and my responsibility. So actually mentoring, giving up my time and spending time with these people because that's the best thing I can do for them is try and guide them, advise them, open doors for them, create connections for them, create the platform for them to be able to perform. And you know, I see it as very much my responsibility to you know get out the way but create the opportunity and open doors. I support things like Ali Hanan's Creative Equals or Pip Jamieson and the Dot and all the wonderful work she does or Nadia Powell and the things she does with We Are Utopia and Creative Superpowers. And there's some incredible angels and heroes as I see in the world that we live in. And I think both of us very passionately get involved in standing behind, supporting, but also leaning in, having those really difficult conversations, being brave enough to get up on stages or in keynotes, whatever, and say the thing that... To be honest, I wish I'd heard along mm-hmm. my journey. I wish I'd heard someone say yep. that. I wish someone had said to me, it's okay to be that. Or it's okay to be like super brave and say no and lean in. And there were things that I made a mistake with. And I think that's as much a responsibility as it is to clear the path. Tell us more about what you're doing with the Marketing Society and pushing this brave agenda. So, so, thank you. The bravery thing started
2: for me personally, feeling very brave and quite scared, if I'm honest, and, and vulnerable to be taking such a big role as, as Chief Exec of the Marketing Society, which still, when I say it, sounds a wee bit grown up. But I have to say I'm firmly in those shoes now and and loving it. and uh, and uh, doing an epic job with it as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. So um, I am, um, you know, my predecessor, Hugh Burkett, a wonderful man um, who has been in the industry for many years, great legacy, we've had a fantastic partnership over the years. When I... Um, Uh, was appointed chief executive, I suppose I went through a little bit of a, first of all, amazing. I was on, um, interestingly, which I think is is props to him. He brought it up to me um, when I was on maternity leave and I was, you know, my baby was two months old. I was doing a monkey music class in the morning, you know, singing, probably got milk in my hair. In the afternoon, having lunch with Hugh Burkett, who said to me, I want you to be my successor. Um, at that time I was I was kinda of thinking, do I go back to work? You know, could I be a, a yummy mummy and go for lunches and, and just have fun? Do I want to do that? What What, what is that I want to do? And, um, and the fact that he asked me to do that at that point in my life showed the confidence that he had in me. Um, and I just knew it was right. And I was so ready for it. Um, and then I went through, you know, this real because obviously then you have to go to all the board and there's a big process to, to be appointed. You don't just get kind of the role, as it were. And then I went through a real thing of going, what well, if I'm going to do this, do I have to be like him? I think it's fair to say, and I don't think he would mind me saying that Hugh's that a bit posher than me, um, maybe a bit more polished, um, a bit more corporate, in all great ways. Um, so I was like, do I do, I do it like him or, or do I be me? And if I'm going to be me, I'm going to truly be me and bring myself to the table. And I was feeling so brave doing that that I wanted to encourage others to be brave. So that then started this big thing about what is bravery and um, and and that's a real interpretation, it's being able to bring your true self to work and encourage others to be able to do that as well so I know you and I have done things together on race, um, did something the other day in neurodiversity, we did an event in New York on sexual harassment what we're going to do is, and what we do in all of them is, we create comfortable spaces to have the uncomfortable conversations and really get under the stuff that matters you know we did that thing at Adweek together didn't mm. we where well, I was so proud of you where you talked about your imposter syndrome but that as a female role model to set for other females to see and other, not just females this is not a female thing I, for me it's all about talent across the board and I know you're the same but for people in the industry to see you being brave like that and being vulnerable and sharing stuff that you've never shared on stage before allows other people to be able to do that and then you can have much bigger conversations, you can create much bigger relationships and together you can do
0: some great stuff. But that's what's been wonderful about observing and and participating and being alongside you on this journey because as you say, it started at one point you know, quite a personal thing and it was very much around the agenda and I think actually seeing what you've done with a society in every event that you, you put on is always full to the rafters you always get people very engaged but your bravery around the way that you tackle things so it's not just what you're tackling so the fact that you know your formats the fishbowl way of having people sat in a circle with others kind of participating getting up in the middle of the room and participating there's huge bravery not just on you putting on something like that and taking that risk but for the individuals that participate so you are creating that safety in there And I think actually when when we first started talking, I was very much thinking about bravery in terms of leadership and and marketing and the challenges of of being a braver marketing leader. And if I kind of bring it back to diversity, some of the things I've challenged and continue to challenge is around in the work that's created, is it the bravest work that that you can create? And that's the idea of, is that, are we pushing the boundaries? Are we thinking about the representation, not just the brief and the kind of ROI? It's like, you know, thinking broader and brighter than that. But I also think, then, as you say, thinking about people as individuals and bringing their whole self, is you have kind of gone into nooks and crannies that that just haven't been spoken about. And as you said, that Adweek piece that I did, and and you you did persuade me quite heavily to get up on stage and talk about something I didn't feel particularly comfortable about. Um, You did it brilliantly, by the, the way. But the amount of people who've come and spoken to me since who've said, men and women, and of all different, you know, seniority and new into jobs, etc. You know, a whole range of people who've come to me and said, I'm so glad you talked about it. I've felt like I've had imposter syndrome for years. And and the importance of it is not just about the care of individuals and bringing our, our, the best talent that we can have into every situation. It is around the uh, what I believe is needed in terms of leadership and not just marketing leadership but leadership broadly but particularly marketing leadership to move forward and to be successful. Mm -hmm. And I think that honesty and recognising our weaknesses or our challenges or where we might struggle and being able to address them, but also showing them to others, showing our vulnerabilities, I think makes us better leaders. What we wanted to do from that session
2: in in terms of the marketing society is there's so much going on at Adweek. So first of all, we wanted to really stand out. Um, But we wanted to talk about, I go back to the stuff that really matters. So the whole wellbeing agenda and mental health and, you know, a year ago, that was a taboo, a real taboo. And we did an event, um, a fishbowl, one of our famous fishbowls. It was our first one. So it was a complete kind of risk, in a sense, where we brought mental health to the to the um, stage where we talked about, you know, it shouldn't be seen as, as negative. It should be seen as positive. And, and the brilliant Robin White, um, who was my co-host on the event, Co-Conspirator, um, he's bipolar and... He was sick of it being seen as negative. Why is it seen as negative when it's his superpower? It's like the brilliant Pip Jameson, who's a great friend of both of ours. You know, she's now taken to the stage about her dyslexia and, and that being a superpower. And these things about us that that define us make us as well, right? So so the piece we did in Abwe, where we basically, wanted to turn the whole mental health well piece to be be positive so we explored it from all different angles didn't we and we just, we talked about you know we had um Rachel from Sainsbury's talk about you know that actually as a leader she doesn't feel or or she doesn't feel that leaders are equipped enough to be able to deal with teams and team members that have real you know real um sensitive issues that they want to be able to talk about and we need to be able to be equipped with that so the whole piece around imposter syndrome and talking about confidence, which is so key in business and marketing and everything that we do and just, just generally, you know, the f- the fact that you really lifted the lid on that, maybe you can just share yeah. a little bit more about that. I
0: think, that. The, fact, I think the, the point you said is about people who said, well, I didn't even know what it was. well, I, mean, I didn't really know what it was for, um, you know, <laughs> most of my career, probably for about 20 years. And so my behaviour which there were clear traits when I finally understood what, that, that what I had was imposter syndrome and I'd, I'd been in a training course and someone talked about it and I sat there and think, gosh, that's me, it was the idea that, you know, it was, it was thinking always about my achievements in terms of luck, you know, that I was lucky to have the job I had, I was lucky to have achieved what I'd done um, and not necessarily credit with any skill or talent, and being constantly in a position of thinking you're going to get found out, you're going to get caught out, which ultimately obviously erodes self-confidence. But it also manifests in many other ways, which I think is where it is really challenging and dangerous from a leadership point of view, is that you know, I was constantly overworking and challenging my teams and pushing everyone very hard, including myself, to compensate from a lack of confidence and belief. And when you start to, A, label the way that you behave and feel, but also understand the triggers and, and how it manifests. It's so important because it doesn't make you obviously happier and better in yourself and be able to achieve and, and deliver more, but it makes you be able to, to be a better leader and be able to kind of challenge and, and develop the people and the wonderful talent that I get the the chance to work with. But being able to say to people, no, God, I have days when... I, I've, I'm not sure. You know, of course I'm not. And I doubt myself and and learning to lean in and learning to take those opportunities. And it can be often a very female trait. I wouldn't say it's exclusively because lots of men suffer from it as well, but it is definitely more acute in women or diverse groups because you don't necessarily feel like you belong. And when you don't feel like you belong, you do have that sense of imposter syndrome, but it was wonderful. I mean, I, I, um, I can't believe I did talk about it the way that I did, but I love the fact that it's had the impact it's had on others
2: I think it's. I think it's brilliant that you did it, and and, and you did it in such a such a graceful way, um, which allowed people to to really relate. And I think one of the things that, and I talk about this a lot with Sil Salah, another incredible um, role model, the brilliant president of the Marketing Society my boss, <laughs> and um, and CMO of Diageo. Um, she talks about um, the the voices in our head and actually knowing that we all have them and they're those things that can hold you back but you've got to find a way to as Sil would say to quieten them and then really focus on what you're great at and I think being able to be honest about that and open about that is so empowering for people to realise it's okay um but there's loads of things we're not great at and it's great to embrace those weaknesses right but then focus on what we're what our strengths are and and find a way to, to keep those voices back because they're never going to go, but it's learning how to deal with them.
1: You're listening to the Dog and Bone podcast from Propeller Group. If you're enjoying it, please share the link with your network. Subscribe on iTunes or your normal podcast provider. And if you're feeling really inspired, please write a review to help us zoom up the charts. Now, back to the conversation. For me... The crux of great teams and creating
0: great teams is creating psychological safety. So, for me, actually, you know, when I think about my own teams and and the teams at Google, but I also the businesses that we work with and the partners that we have. For me, you know, if when you look at what people need to navigate in the future, so technology is moving faster than it ever was. Trying to keep up with the pace of change, with the pace of knowledge, with talent, specialisms, etc. There's so many more um, things to consider you need to be able to give people the opportunity to make to have failure to make to, to make, make mistakes to be able to take risks that's where the greatest innovation happens is when you have people who are comfortable in the environment that they're in to take risks and the only way we can create true psychological safety and that environment is if you have leadership who are prepared to be vulnerable to prepared to consider and share but also recognise that leadership is around the care of individuals and getting them to be able to bring their best selves. Self. One of the things you just talked about is, is, is failure
2: and, and and vulnerability. And my first thing I did as as chief exec when I when I knew I was I was doing the job is I wrote to a bunch of CMOs and said we're always talking about um, our successes, but we should also be talking about when we failed and when we didn't things didn't go so well. So I have never had such quick responses from people in my life. We've all had, you know, incredible failures and we should be able to share them, we should be able to celebrate them and we should be able to learn from them. And it was so popular that we did Brave brave Leaders Part 1 and 2 where we looked at fails from a a people point of view where, you know, CMOs were sharing when they got it wrong with their team because it's that thing of impact felt, impact intended where you intend to be, you know, most people... Most great people, most good people tend to be positive and see things through a positive light and a positive lens and that's, I know, something that you and I really really care about. Not be a, a drain that, mm. you know, drains all your energy. Be a radiator. But the impact felt can be completely different and it's understanding that. Um, so the teams, instead of feeling, you know... I'm totally motivated to go on this amazing journey that the leaders set out. Actually, they're feeling overwhelmed, they're feeling crushed, they're feeling undermined. And I think being able to be open about your um, failures and, and your adversity is it's such great learning that allows other people to, you know, be
0: open as well. Well, I think otherwise you think that if, if we only ever paint... picture of perfection then that's what you think you're striving for whereas that reality is is that you need to you're striving for the journey that people have been on and to be learn from mistakes or learn from behavior and i think it's also that you know i do think it's like when you're looking at talent now it's not about what they've done but it's their ability to be able to change and adapt and and be agile so in in a few weeks time we've you've got the marketing society excellence awards which really, uh, fantastic was of recognising brilliant work, as it says, excellence in the work that's being delivered by marketeers. But you also have, within that um, recognition of new and young talent, and I know that you were uh, frustrated by the number and quality of entries that we had, which is, I think, absolutely indicative of perhaps the challenges in industry we face on talent. to just tell us yeah, about
2: that. Yeah, and I, 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 I think that's a really. Um, that, that, that's something that um, I feel very, very passionate about, Young Talent, and, and I know you do too in Future Talent, and, and bringing that through our industry and really nurturing that. Um, and actually, I blame ourselves at the Marketing Society for the lack of applications. I think we can market it better, and we're going to. Um, and I think we've, um, you know, our Excellence Awards have always been kind of the standout awards in the industry, and we might have got a little bit complacent, and actually we're talking to the judges this year about how we can up it, and so, um, so I did controversially put a tweet out um, where um, I said I'm, you know, a little bit frustrated about the uh, lack of effort that's gone into these papers where someone has been recommended for Young Marketing Leader of the Year, which, to win that, it can literally change your career. You know, previous winners are Becky Brock that's now, um, you know, marketing director of John Lewis. And I think that um, people don't quite realise the opportunity with winning such an award. And, um, and so the, the lack of effort that went in was quite astounding. So I went out and said, actually, um, I want to see more. So I'm going to extend the deadline. And anyone that's already applied if you didn't get through, you can apply again, which actually people really loved, that kind of, you know, honesty. Second chance, yeah. And that second chance as well. And I'm delighted to say I judged them last week and um, the applications, the shortlisted, were brilliant. There were eight of them. And and they all said they learnt from the process as well, which is fabulous. We've got the opportunity to really help them become great leaders. Mm. And that's really exciting because that's when we can, you know, create the future and empower people and do the great stuff and i think we've got some great examples with our awards and obviously i can't say who the winners are and it's coming up in a few few weeks so book your tickets if you haven't already um but uh you know um there's some incredible examples of of, um excellence out there um you know one of the brands for me that stands out every time is is mars and the wonderful mitch Mm. oliver you know mitch Mitch stands out always, and she she encourages her team to as well and the stuff they did with the lighter side of disability mm. um, with Maltesers was brilliant, and the stuff they've done with skittles, you know where you know they, they changed all the colors, which is the, what the brand's known for or they took the colors out mm. you know it's just it's just great to see those examples of excellence coming through and and I think when you can also combine that with with something that the social impact where we can actually really make a difference um like the lighter side of disability um that's something that you know is really aspiring to marketeers and i'd like to see more examples of those um and we're beginning to see more examples of those but i think there's an opportunity to to really go for it and and do more would you would you agree yeah
0: absolutely well i think being able to to ensure that we uncover great work and, and hold that up for people to aspire to is essential. And I couldn't agree more on Mars. Um, I will say, obviously, I'm very proud of the fact that Can Can Lions have just nominated Google as being Creative Marketeer of the Year in uh, RCMO. Wow. Lorraine Toohill will be collecting that award in Can, But I think it's Amazing. a reflection of the global marketing team. And I think it's because it's based on an approach um, from that kind of creativity and innovation around the talent and people, because it's it's the it's incredible people that we get to to work with and give them the space and opportunity to perform and explore.
2: And you know, I also judged the Marketing Academy recently, and I was at their event last night, seeing the scholars go through, and um, it was really great because we um, myself and and John White, who I partner with on judging, uh, put three of them, three of them through, and it was great to see them, and they're so energized and excited about it. But what it really made me think is there's so much young talent in our industry. And actually, from the conversations that I had with with the people that we were um, we were judging, um, they're not sure where to go. Mm-hmm. They're not sure how to get the outside in. They're not sure how to make that bigger impact and how to really fulfil their purpose. So I think there's a, there's a massive opportunity to do something there, which I'm not sure what it is yet, and I'm sure you and I can conspire together. <laughs> but there's so much great talent within these companies. And we need to we need to help bring and enable that, and one of the things that um you know I know you've heard me talk about before, but it's something that I'm actually going to maybe even write a book on, but the whole subject of networking and lots of people I've been interviewing recently um young and I don't want to say old but m- more established there's this absolute fear of of networking yeah. and walking into a room where they n- may not know anyone and I think We as an industry could do so much better at that because, for me, life's all about connections and it's where you bring good people together, the good stuff happens. People worry about how to act in that room Mm. because it's quite artificial. Whereas if you think about it as what can I bring to this conversation, what's unique about me that I I can take into this room as opposed to what can I get from it? so much more rewarding and richer yeah. and I think we should encourage that more Absolutely. and I think we should do something to
0: and I think that's, that's a great way to think about if we could approach because I think there is lots of great talent in the industry but there is without a doubt if you speak to most businesses one of the biggest concerns is attracting talent in and you know I think on the digital skills front particularly there's I heard a stat recently of the, the, the thousands of jobs that are um, open you know headcount that's open to fill you know, specific like biddable roles for example so digital marketing roles with real kind of specific skill set and the challenge of getting people young people from schools and universities to consider a career in marketing and in advertising and in digital marketing as well there's a better job to be done there, and I think part of that is the connections it's part of what what can we bring to them but what can they bring to us as well and actually how do we how do we market marketing better Mm. as well because I think we need to I think there needs to be it needs to. I certainly remember as a as a young girl. It's what I always wanted to do. You know, I wanted, I was attracted to advertising. I was um, always had been. Um, and I worry that it does. It still hold that same appeal when we're now competing against so many other different industries for that talent. And we need to make sure we're bringing it in to this one. Yeah, Gemma, what's your biggest mistake?
2: Gosh, that's the question. I've got only many. The one. <laughs> I've got many, many mistakes. I think my biggest mistake is. Is following the money and taking the job that I knew in my gut instinct wasn't right. To the point when I handed my notice in to my then boss, we were crying. You know, we 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 didn't want to lose each other. Um, and I was very at home in in that place. But I was buying a, a house with my then boyfriend, who's now my husband. And um, and the role felt very um, very grown up. It felt very um, very big, and it felt as and it was a lot more money and um, the minute I joined I knew it wasn't right. I felt in the in the pit of my stomach, and I and I listened to the headhunter too much, who sold it to me, and it, I knew it wasn't right. And I I believe that my big thing is always follow follow your gut. You know, there's all the data and and all that brilliant stuff in the world, and it's great to listen and take some of that. But your gut is from a million conversations, um, you know, and and experiences over over your life. And um, and when I don't follow it, I um I make mistakes. And on that particular occasion. I stayed in that employment for six months. I lost all confidence, and I started um, crying on the train on the way home, and believing that I couldn't do anything. And I remember um, about 26 years old saying to my uh, to Andy, my my then boyfriend, um, maybe I should just be a mum and we should just pop out kids because I clearly I'm not going to do anything else with my career and life. And um, and that was a moment in time. Got over it. Left the job. And haven't looked back since. Um, and naturally, loads of my team always say, I'm so glad, Gem, that you had a job that you hated because, you know, yeah. I, I tried to create a culture that people love what they do because it's only when you love what you do, you'll be truly great. And I really, really do believe that. So back over to you, Nish. What's, what's <laughs> your Biggest, biggest... mistake. Well, I
0: have, I've got many similar ones to you in that sense of, of not making the right move when I should have done. So I think one of my biggest mistakes is not listening. Um, and I do talk a lot, but I do usually listen very well good listener. But there was a situation where I was in competition with another colleague for a promotion and I was listening to win. I was listening to, to do what I thought was needed as versus kind of what I instinctively felt I should do or what I knew would be right for the campaign at the time. But being in that competitive situation, I was listening to all the wrong signals and drivers in me and uh, no surprise when you're going listen to me and you miss all the bits that you really you need to hear, the, the signals that were going to send me in the right direction, give me the right insights on the on the work that I needed to deliver. And, of course, I did completely the wrong thing and failed <laughs> miserably in the process and didn't get the promotion, um, which, on hindsight, actually worked out very well because I then moved on to, to a new job and a new career, which worked out very well for me. But it taught me a lesson, a huge lesson at the time was... Um, not being focused on the right thing. That instinct and that passion is so important versus all those other triggers that you think are important. Um, yeah. it's a, it was a hard lesson at the time, but one that, that worked out very well, thankfully. Yeah.
2: And it sounds also follow your gut instinct yeah. as well. always.
0: Thank you, Thank you, Thank you.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on The Dog and Bone. Please subscribe to the podcast and if you have any questions or suggestions, do get in touch via our website, dogandbone.dog or send us an email at woof at dogandbone.dog